a mother <clears throat> invited uh, several people from the church over for dinner at her home. At the table with all the guests seated, she turned to her six-year-old daughter and asked, Would you like to say the blessing? I wouldn't know what to say, answered the little girl. Just say what you hear mommy say, replied the mother. So the little girl bowed her heads, clasped her hands, and with all sincerity in her voice, prayed, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to suffer? <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> you, might be, uh, you might be thinking, what does this little story have to do with anything in the book of Revelation? But this morning, we are going to be talking about supper. Actually, two suppers, both of which are in the future. One supper you want to be invited to, while the other you want no part of. One supper is full of worship. And the other is full of wrath. One supper is for a bride. And the other is for the birds. Now before we proceed, I, I, I want to take a moment to recap, doing you a favor over there, <clears throat> doing our visitors a favor, I want, to, I want to recap what we have seen thus far during the future tribulation period, as described to us by the Apostle John, Okay? If you recall, <clears throat> Jesus took a sealed scroll from the hand of his Father. This scroll was <clears throat> the title deed of sort to the earth, given to Jesus as an inheritance. And it contained, it contained his plan to deal with the affairs of this world. A plan from long ago to condemn wickedness. To bring repentance to those who will. To reward righteousness 
and to establish the Lord's promised kingdom upon the earth. With the scroll in hand, one at a time, Jesus broke the seven seals fixed to it, which unleashed the seven seal judgments. Remember those? The seven seal judgments. Seven different judgments were released one at a time upon the earth. And then, out of the seventh seal, seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments were sounded. And once we got to the seventh trumpet judgment, we were introduced to seven more judgments called the bowl judgments. These bowl judgments came at the end of the tribulation period. They were the worst of all. And when they were poured out, they devastated everything. In the future... God's judgment and wrath will be poured upon the inhabitants of this world who have rejected Jesus Christ. And yet, true to God's character, true to His character, He ensures that the gospel is still preached and salvation is still offered. Yes, the church will have been raptured before the tribulation period begins, but the gospel will still be preached. It will be preached by the two prophets. It will be preached by the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. It will be preached by angelic beings throughout the entire tribulation period, even toward the very end, even toward the very end, God is still calling people to Himself before it is too late. Now, for the last two weeks, we have looked closely at Babylon. Babylon. Its emergence and its destruction. If you remember, this future Babylon is the capital city as well as the global system of the Antichrist, composed of a religious arm and a secular arm. A religious arm and a secular arm. We first looked at the religious arm in chapter 17. Called the great harlot. Remember her? The great harlot. She represented the false religious system. Very enticing. Extremely wealthy. 
and completely immoral. At first, at first, this false religious system was supported by the Antichrist. He used her like a harlot. But at the midpoint of the tribulation period, he wants to be worshipped as God without any competition. And so he strips this false religious system of everything and kicks her to the curb, so to speak. In chapter 18, we looked at the secular arm of Babylon. More specifically, the political and the economic systems of the Antichrist who were judged along with the capital city. It was thrown down just like a a boulder was thrown into the sea, sinking to the depths, never to be found again. Babylon's associates, those who became powerful and wealthy from her, grieved deeply because her destruction was there destruction. They knew the party was over. The party was over. But just as their party abruptly ended, another party was just getting started. A supper party. It's a supper party. And that's where we begin in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. What a lead in. So turn, if you will, to Revelation 19, verse 1. Did you like that, Travis? Okay, good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Revelation 19, verse 1. I'm assuming it's up behind me. Okay. <clears throat> Again, this is Apostle John speaking. <clears throat> After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot... The great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders And the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, 
the small and the great. In chapters 17 and 18, John's focus was directed toward the events occurring on the earth related to Babylon during the tribulation period. But now his focus shifts back to heaven where he hears the loud roar of a great multitude. Likely hundreds of millions in heaven all giving praise to God at the same time. And in their praise, John hears the word hallelujah several times. This is kind of interesting. That word is an untranslated Hebrew word. It's an untranslated Hebrew word. It's not Greek like the rest of the book. This word appears in the Old Testament multiple times. Especially in the, in the book of Psalms. However, this is the very first time it appears in the New Testament. The very first time in the entire New Testament. It's as if God saved this word for this special occasion. Hallelujah simply means praise the Lord. That's what it means. Praise the Lord. And this praise is prompted first because of who God is and secondly because of what God has done. Namely, God has judged evil Babylon in His truth and in His righteousness. And He has avenged the blood of the martyred saints. If you recall back in chapter 6, when Jesus broke the fifth seal on that scroll, John saw underneath the altar in heaven the souls of those who had been martyred during the tribulation period. And these martyrs cried out, wanting to know, when would the Lord avenge their blood? When would justice finally prevail? When would evil finally be dealt with? That's what they wanted to know. Well, the Lord answered them, and He said, It's coming, but not now. But not now. You have to wait because there are more who will be added to your numbers. That's what he told them. You have to wait 
because there will be more who are added to your numbers. In other words, they had to wait because there were more who would trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And as a consequence, during the tribulation period, they would be killed as a result. So they had to wait. And this brings up, at least for me, an age-old question. Why doesn't God just wipe out all evil now? For example, I wish he would just do away with Putin right now. I'm tired of him. Why doesn't God just rid this world of people like him? Surely, this world would be a much better place. Am I wrong? Well, God could, couldn't he? He could. But why stop with Putin? Why stop with Putin? Why not just take out all the murderers and all the rapists? How about those who prey on the vulnerable? Like those who prey on children and the, and the elderly. God could take them out as well. Yea, God. But is that enough? Is that enough? How about the drug dealers? And the thieves? And the swindlers? Every text message I get, every email I get, every phone call I get from somebody who says, thank you for your order, just wipe them out. <laughs> the order I never made. How about those who cheat and lie? How about those who lust? The hateful, the unkind. You see, if if we let this play out, if we let this play out and run its course, God absolutely could do a clean sweep now and rid this world of all evil. He can rid it of all sin. 
But if he did that now, he would rid the world of all people. For all have sinned. If God wipes out all evil, he wipes out all people. That's the truth. But thank God, he is loving and he is patient. He's just waiting. In fact, God waited for you and me. Did he not? He waited for you and me. And just like the Lord told the martyrs in heaven, He is waiting for others until the very end. But we know, we do know this, the waiting is not forever. The waiting is not forever. And there will come a time in the future when everything that is wrong in this world will be made right. Everything. And that's precisely what's being described to us here in this passage. All things are being made right. And it prompts worship and praise and a great celebration. Then the scene changes a bit. And the praise shifts. Because it's supper time. It's supper time. So let's read on, beginning with verse 6. Again, this is John speaking. Then... I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him for... The marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. We've come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the wedding celebration for the Lord and his bride. And who is the bride? 
Who is the bride? Many suggest it's just the church. It's just the church. But I think it goes beyond that. And I think it seems to include all the saints of all ages. I say that because later, and we will get there, later in Revelation 21, great chapter, when the new Jerusalem, the holy city comes down from heaven... She, the city, is identified as the bride. The wife of the Lamb. And this holy city will have twelve gates named for the twelve tribes of Israel and will have twelve foundation stones named for the twelve apostles. Essentially, the city is identified as the bride because the bride, God's people, are in it. That's why she's given that name. And the people who appear to be in it are both the Old Testament and the New Testament saints. Now, the main focus of this passage, at least for me, is how the bride is prepared for the marriage supper. We're told the bride, listen to this, makes herself ready through her righteous acts. But, before we jump to any wrong conclusions about works, we have a very important word to look at. To be mindful of. If you notice, is it is the passage still behind me? Okay. If you notice, the clothing of righteousness was given to the bride. Do you see that? It was given to the bride. So this picture we see presents a couple of interesting truths for us. First, God's righteousness is given to believers. We know that from God's perspective, our righteousness is as What? Filthy rags. But through the finished, the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ, God has clothed those who believe with the salvation and the righteousness of His Son. 
That's how God sees those who are in Christ. We are righteous. Now, with that said, even though we are righteous in Christ, that's who we are in Him, we have a part to make ourselves ready by abiding in Him. That means we are to remain in an ever-growing relationship with Him. We are to be connected to Him as we walk with Him. And it's through this connection that He transforms us. He changes our character. And He works in us and through us to do His good will. It is the Lord who produces the righteous acts. He produces the fruit in us. That's why the Apostle Paul called it the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of Bob. The fruit is God's part. That's His part. Our part is simply to abide. Moment by moment, step by step, one day at a time, surrendering our attitudes and our ways and our wills to Him. There's an old hymn entitled, Are You Washed in the Blood? You familiar with that? It's written by Elisha Hoffman. And it speaks to about what I just said. The first stanza focuses on God's part in our righteousness. It reads, Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The second stanza then draws our attention to our part of abiding in Christ. And it goes like this. Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? We do. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Simply put, We are righteous in Christ. We are righteous in Christ. That's who we 
are. And consistent with our identity, we abide in Him. We remain in an ever-growing relationship with Him. And as a result, He produces the righteous acts in us. It's His fruit. We're just the fruit hangers. He produces the fruit. So John sees the bride all dressed up in righteousness, called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. For John, this had to be a welcome sight for sore eyes in light of all the judgment and the wrath he has witnessed thus far. It was probably a lot to take in. And in verse 10, John tells us, Then I fell at his feet to worship him. Him is not the Lord. (laughs) But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So apparently John is overwhelmed with it all. And he falls down to worship an angel. And the angel says, oh no, oh no, don't, don't do that. Worship God. This is all about Jesus. And this brings up something really foreign to us as Westerners. So ladies, I don't want you chasing me out of here like a heretic, okay? In the ancient Jewish wedding celebration, just as we see here, the main person is the groom, not the bride. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> it should be the ladies are standing up here with their bridesmaids, and it's the groom who's walking down the aisle with mom on his arm, and there's some song like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So it's about the groom. It's about the Lord. It's about Jesus. Well, one supper is down. And the Lord has another supper to prepare for. A supper you want no part of. So let's continue beginning with verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. 
And he who sat on it was, is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. Those are crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron, a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you don't recognize it yet, this is the second coming of Christ. Which I want to quickly distinguish from the rapture of the church. The rapture occurs before the tribulation period. The second coming comes after the tribulation period. In the rapture, Jesus comes for His bride. At His second coming, Jesus comes with His bride. At the rapture, Jesus meets us in the air. At His second coming, Jesus returns to the earth. In the rapture, there is no judgment. At His second coming, it's all judgment. Now, if you remember, when the sixth bowl was poured out, all the leaders of the nations, influenced by demons, gathered together with their military forces for a battle. The Battle of Armageddon. So while Babylon has gone up in smoke, they are on the battlefield. And they have called Jesus out. They called him out. And unfortunately for them, he shows up. Instead of humbly riding a donkey like he did into Jerusalem amid all the praise and the palm branches out of heaven, descending out of the clouds. Jesus, who is called faithful and true, swoops down on a white horse, a horse for war, not peace. And John notices that Jesus is not alone. 
for. Behind him is a massive army who John previously identified in chapter 17 as the called, the chosen, the faithful. Jesus comes with his saints, his bride. But he also comes with his angels. For that is what he told us in Matthew chapter 25. So this is a picture of all the hosts of heaven showing up for this great battle at the second coming of Christ. And it's important to point out that none of those with Jesus are carrying weapons. None of them. They're just all dressed up in white, riding on white horses. They come with Jesus, but they do not come to do battle. For quite frankly, there really is no need. The only weapon that will be used comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And no, swords are not flying out of his mouth. Okay? Rather, he destroys his enemy with the spoken word. Just as Jesus spoke to the fig tree and it withered, Just like he spoke to the stormy winds and the waves and they became still. All who come to fight against the Lord will fall by the power of his word. And it's a mighty, sovereign word. For it comes from the one who is identified as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No matter who is leading these military forces, no matter who is running these nations, no matter who appears to be in control, all must submit to the supreme earthly king and submit to the supreme divine Lord. There's going to be a battle if you want to call it that. It's called the Battle of Armageddon, but I'm not sure. So let's pick up, beginning with verse 17, to see what happens. John says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast... And the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. 
And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is the second supper. The great supper of God. And as we can see, it's for the birds. In fact, before the battle even gets started, an angel has already invited the birds to get ready for supper. They're circling in the air, just waiting for the dinner bell. And right out the gate, the Antichrist and the false prophet are seized by the Lord. And these two are thrown alive into the lake of fire which is the final place of eternal suffering. Then after these two are out of the way, the rest on the battlefield who remain, from the greatest of generals to the lowest of soldiers, will fall to the ground by the spoken word of Jesus. And then the supper for the birds begins. Revelation 19 pictures two great suppers. In heaven, the first will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And only those who are called will dine at that table. By contrast, there is another supper, the great supper of God, And it's for the birds who are called. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and follow Him as Lord will share in the marriage supper. But those on the earth who have rejected Jesus after repeated opportunities to repent will be on the menu for the birds. Several years ago, actually many years ago, Johnny Carson, remember that name? Johnny Carson had Billy Graham on as a a guest on The Tonight Show. At one point, there was a, a lull in the conversation. And Johnny said, you know what, Billy? I bet... If Jesus came back to the earth, we'd do him in again. We'd do him in again. Billy leaned forward in his seat and said to Johnny, In the Bible, we read, Jesus will someday return to the earth. Again. The first time he came in love. The next time 
He'll come in power. And no one will do him in. Let me give this to you straight. Jesus came to give us life. Right? His life. But when Jesus comes again, it will not be to give life. It will be to take it. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? Not my Jesus. That's the truth. That's the truth. And it's a truth that should encourage us to persevere and to be daily connected to Him in our walk with Him. And not only that, it is a truth that should motivate us to share what we know with those who do not know the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together in your word. Another tough word. You told us at the very beginning of this book that there would be things revealed about you that we would not see anywhere else. And Father, I will admit that it's difficult to see Jesus in any other way but being loving and merciful and gracious and forgiving and patient. That's my picture. That's my reality. That's how I see Him. That's how I know Him. But Father, Your Word is true and it's clear. There will come a time when the patience has ended. When the waiting is over. After all the opportunities have been given to come to Him and to repent. When you will bring justice and wrath and judgment. Father, I just pray that these truths, that you allow them to percolate in our minds and in our hearts, and that you would cause us to be the kind of people who are about your business, who followed you who walk with you and who abide in you. May you be honored and glorified for you are worthy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I noticed uh, this morning the last song uh, we're going to be singing this morning which kind of 
this kind of, for me, kind of brings it all together. I mean, we've, we've been talking about the future, right? The future. I mean, God has given us a sneak peek, hadn't he? Think about it. He's given us a sneak peek of the future. I look forward to some of it. Others, <laughs> it's like, ooh, kind of cringe a little bit. It's a little scary, a little daunting. Absolutely. But what does that mean to me today? I mean, that's, that's really the ultimate question, right? I've seen all this in the future, but what about, what about today? What do I do today? How does this affect me today? I kind of want to circle back to where, where we were earlier this morning. The name of the song they're going to be singing is I Surrender All. I Surrender All. Anybody here like that word, surrender? Not this boy. Mm-mm. I'm being honest. I don't surrender to anything. It's against my nature to surrender. Right? But that's what we are called to do today. That's what it, that's what it means to abide in Him. It's where I, I yield, I yield my old nature to Him. I yield my own, my old attitude, my my old ways of thinking. I just give it to Him, and I put on His righteousness like a like a like clothing. And because I am righteous in Christ, I just need to act like it. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are righteous in Him. That is who we are positionally. Do I always act like I'm righteous and holy? Don't talk to my wife. But, but, you know... But I could, but no, absolutely not. Jesus said, we were talking about this earlier in, in Sunday school. This, we, oh, it's so simple. It's so simple. I'm just amazed we make things so much harder than they have to be. Even our walk, we make it so, so much harder. But Jesus said this. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. For without me, you can do nothing. That's what he said. He's this, this, it's a great picture. This picture is this solid, big, great vine. It's the vine that produces the fruit, not the branches. The fruit hangs from the branches. Oh, Bob is so kind. Bob is such a loving guy. You want to be like Bob? No, you don't. In any, yeah, thank you over there, Sandy. <laughs> no, that was good. That was on time, right? No, no. But the, but the point is, any anything you see in me is is a result of him producing. His fruit in me. He produces the fruit. 
the fruit only hangs off me. We just abide. We just stay connected to Him in prayer, in His Word, walking with Him. That's our part. We just abide in Him. That's what we do today. Moment by moment, step by step, one day at a time. We just abide. He takes care of the rest. Don't make it harder than it has to be. That's what this I surrender all is about. I just, Lord, okay. I'm just going to be connected to you. And then you do what you want to in me. That's what this is about. I'm glad you're here this morning. I hope I didn't confuse you too much with Revelation 19. I wrestled with it. I'm not joking. All week. It was a killer. I wrestled with it. So I hope, I hope it was meaningful to you. If the Lord has spoken to you this morning, He's impressed upon your heart to make a decision for Him. Maybe you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm not assuming anything. I would love to introduce you to Him. To explain Him to you. I would love to do that. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you. What you see is what you get. Maybe there's something else you need to pray about. Maybe there's something else on your heart. I would love to pray with you as well. However the Lord leads you, I just ask that you'd respond. Just be obedient to Him and respond. Irrespective of the people here, it don't matter. You just respond to Him. Thank you again for being here. Let me, uh, I'm going to close in prayer for our offering. Just to remind you, our offering baskets are back there by the door. And then also I'm going to pray for our fellowship afterwards. Everybody's invited to, to stay. And, and again, we are Baptists, so, so we, we like eating. Uh, yes. Anyway, let me pray. Father, I, I, I got to thank you so much for, for bringing you here this morning. And Lord, I, I, I do pray as I have prayed many times that what is said here um, would have some impact outside these doors. That you moved us here. Lord, I pray that you just change us out there. Have your way with us, Father. Have your way with us. Help us to surrender and yield ourselves to you that you may work in us and through us. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time of, of service where we're able to give back just a small portion of what you have blessed us with. Father, bless the gifts and the tithes and the offerings that are, that are presented. Bless the giver. Bless the gifts, Father. Help us as a church, Father, to use your money wisely, for it is your money. And then, Father, for our fellowship afterwards, Father, I just pray that it would just be a, a productive, sweet, loving time. Bless those who have brought food and prepared food. And, Father, just bless this food to our bodies. May you be honored and glorified. May you be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.